0: What's up, guys? Max here with another episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. Sorry, I know it's not our usual time. We are a little early today, but I do appreciate you turn, tuning in. And as always, as soon as this episode is done, I'll post it up to the podcast and you can catch the whole thing later. I'm doing some volunteer work with the USO today. And as a result, I had to shift the show to a little bit earlier in the day so I can get up to uh, Camp Hansen here in Okinawa. So if you're up in Camp Hansen, give me a shout out. I'll be over there today uh, doing some work. So, um, we have a cool story today. We have a bunch of cool stories today. We have a cool episode. Um, I've got something fun, something serious, something personal, something badass. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Uh, yesterday's show was fun. We had a good time. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, I wanted to. Uh, I don't want to waste any time. Um, I don't know how long today's show is going to be. We've got a bunch of stuff to cover. I always say that it always ends up being an hour. Um, but... I I, want to start off today's show um, by letting you guys know, I encourage you to go get an education while you're in the military. Okay. If you're thinking about joining, if you're somebody who's thinking about joining, if you're, you know, already in and you're a junior dude, or even if you have been in a really long time, I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to use your veteran benefits to get an education. Okay. And to prove that you're never too old and it's never too late. I want to show you our first story today, which is the veteran who is 96 years old, World War II veteran, who decided it's finally time to get his high school diploma. So this article is from Stars and Stripes out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So let me just go through this real quick with you guys. There was as much pomp as there could be given the circumstance. They're, of course, talking about celebrating the graduation of this veteran. So despite the COVID-19 pandemic and safety restrictions that required an intimate ceremony, World War II veteran Orlando Samuel Romero proudly received his high school diploma on Thursday at the age of 96. And really quick, here is this gentleman right here on your screen. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, he is on the screen right now. So this guy uh, that you're seeing on your on your TV set or computer at home, just graduated high school, you know? And and I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. I think it's so awesome. That, uh, that we get to cover this story. I think that's really great. So let's go through it. Socially distanced in the Robert F. Kennedy Charter School gymnasium, the event held just for Romero allowed him to experience the classic graduation moments he'd missed up until now. The graduation march rang out as he walked in a cap and gown, turned his tassel, and officially received his diploma. It's been a long time coming for the New Mexico native who was unable to finish his time at Albuquerque High School because he was drafted into the service when he was 18 years old. I was thinking about, you know how young people are when they join like this today, especially, and we're going to get to why here in a little bit with the personal story I have today. But I was thinking about how young 18 is like how young 18, 17, 16 is he hadn't finished high school and was drafted. I, you know, it's, it's, it's like now that I'm getting a little bit older, I look at this and I go, that is a baby. That's a ba- You're a baby when you're 18. I mean, not that you can't go do great things and that you can't be mature and all that, but, like, you're so early in life. You have so much yet to to come in your life, including, you know, getting that education. And here this guy gets drafted into World War II when he's 18 years old, has not finished high school, and goes into the military. Principal Sean Morris told the Journal that Romero was a Navy Seaman first class in the South Pacific, which I'm guessing that's an E3. They just call it a seaman now. Um, or an airman or a fireman, but I guess seaman first class must have been an E3 in that time. Romero said part of his work was translating letters from Spanish to English. After his time in the service, Romero said he did various work, including janitorial and furniture making. His main focus was taking care of his family when he got back and school wasn't top of mind. He said, first things first, but through operation recognition, a program that grants veterans, certain veterans, their high school diplomas, Romero was able to achieve the milestone. American veterans sacrifice so much to protect our freedom for many of those who served in their youth. That includes the chance to receive a high school diploma. It is a belated gesture of our lasting respect and appreciation for their service and commitment to our nation, the director of the Robert F. Kennedy Charter School said. That's why the school was honored to make sure Romero got his diploma. Bade told the Journal that Romero had to meet eligibility requirements and fill out the paperwork for the New Mexico Department of Veterans Services to be granted the honor. And while Romero didn't get his diploma the traditional way, Bates said it was still definitely earned. Yeah, I'd say. I'd say it was. Now, I wonder, like, in World War II, if they even had, like, a GED-type program. I'm not sure when that started, like, the general equivalency degree. Um, I know a ton of people who have GEDs when I was in the military. And I wonder if they had that. But I think this is just... This is just an awesome, heartwarming story. I mean, when I read this, when I think about what it must have meant to him to walk in a graduation gown and turn the tassel and reflect, you know, take that time to reflect back on his life and raising a family and serving in World War II um, and the way that his life kind of went after the the war, which had derailed the—changed the course of life for so many Americans in that generation— um, and then he went on to work and serve his community until he was, until now. And he's able, they're able to honor him like this, which is just, that's, I mean, if you compare this to like, uh, you know, uh, a, a certificate of, you know, appreciation or a key to the city or something like that. I mean, this has got to be up there with one of the highest honors you can bestow on somebody is a degree. Thursday ceremony also created an opportunity for Merrill's loved ones to celebrate with him, like his honorary granddaughter, April Gallegos, who was there cheering him on beaming with pride for Romero. She's, it's an inspiration that's mutual. When asked why he wanted to receive his diploma after all this time, Romero pointed to Gallegos as a major factor. As for advice for the younger generation, a devout Catholic said, what he's learned over the years, it's important to do the best you can to help anyone who needs it. Do the best you can to help anyone who needs it. Oh, my bad. I don't know why that just flashed across the screen. Um, so I think that's all I'm really glad I was able to bring you guys that story. That's an awesome one So what's up everybody in the chat? What's up syphie? What's up jojo? What's up, justin? Thanks for being here Um, even though it's at a different time today I do appreciate you guys tuning in and like I said if you can't stick around for the whole thing I will be posting it to the podcast, uh as soon as i'm done here. So We've got a bunch of stories. Um, obviously There is, uh, it's inauguration day out here in okinawa Um, obviously we'll have to wait until tomorrow for uh for it to actually happen in the united states but um- th- We all know what's been going on at the Capitol. Uh, the National Guard has activated and sent 20,000 troops as uh, security to the nation's capital to make sure that the inauguration goes smoothly with no issues or anything like that. And when, there's a couple stories today I want to cover about that. And the first one is kind of fun. The first one's kind of a fun one. Um, let me go ahead and switch over here. So we've got uh, a local pizza shop. A, a local pizza shop in DC is helping to feed the National Guard. I think this is really neat. Thousands of troops filtering in and out of the Capitol, uh, Capitol Hill after the deadly January 6th riot during the impeachment process and in advance of the inauguration. As many of them have taken to mapping the hallowed halls of Congress, journalists, staffers, and lawmakers alike have been beside themselves about the perilously perceived state of Guard members' arrangements when on duty. It's not that bad. I, I, you know, I honestly probably think that they're having a good—I bet they're having the best time. I bet the National Guard is having the best time sleeping in the Capitol, hanging out, playing spades— you know, eating whatever food they can get and just kind of like enjoying being in that ambiance. probably like night at the museum. I wonder if all the statues and paintings come to life after the lights go down. They all have like a, a big historical dance party. Democrats have called for cots and local citizens launched donation efforts. But unfortunately, according to the National Guard Bureau, those acts of kindness simply cannot abide. While we appreciate the many offers and people who care about our soldiers and airmen, we are not logistically able to accept donations of any kind. From, that's a release from the uh, army there. Thank you for caring about your citizen soldiers and airmen. However, this rule doesn't seem to apply to food in this case, namely pizza. Pizza, pizza. Local favorite, We the Pizza, famed for its double pepperoni. Double pepperoni sounds pretty good. I would eat some double pepperoni right now for breakfast has set up a matching donation system for its profoundly delicious pies after some unnamed Congress members ordered in for them. That's nice. Two members of Congress called to place orders and we thought we should match it when we found out it was for the National Guards. Uh, Michelin Mendelssohn Loon, again, for those tuning in to watch me read names, there you go. Deputy CEO for the restaurant group that owns We the Pizza Told Military Times. Then we realized we could use more, so we donated them. Eater reported... A website eater reported that the pizza shop accounted for 100 pizzas Wednesday and planned to send another 150 thir- uh, thir- on Thursday throughout the day. We had customers and people calling to help us donate, so we decided to match a pie for every donation. We reduced the price to twelve dollars a pie, and every time someone orders, we match it. Every time somebody orders a pie, they match it with a free pie for the people at the Capitol. I think that's how cool is that? How cool is that? That so, just let's think about this for a second. 250 pizzas at $12 a pie, okay? That's what they could make off of 250 pizzas. So that is like almost $3,000 or about $3,000. And then you've got um then you've got the manpower to go make 250 extra pies. So every time they get an order, they're doing double work, okay? So they're doing they're putting in double work, which is double the use of their equipment, double the cost of their supplies double the amount of inventory that they need to stock. And they're doing all this just to donate pizzas to the National Guard over there. Now, I hope they're including salads. I hope they're taking the time to include salads too. You got to include some salads, maybe some healthy balsamic dressing, right? Maybe, you know, lay off on the croutons. The National Guard can't sit there in the Capitol and eat double pepperoni every day for weeks, okay? Or days or however long. I guess they've been there about a week. I hope it's (laughs) thin crust, So I hope that they're, you know, feeding them something else there besides MREs and a uh, double pepperoni pizza. I hope they have some good accommodations. I assume, I've never been, uh, I've, I've been to Washington, D.C. I've been outside the Capitol. I've never been inside. Um, but I assume they have some kind of a galley there, some kind of cafeteria, and I wonder if they're e- able to eat there. Like when Congress is in session, they must have some kind of food services coming there. They probably have a, a cook. I bet they have a cook. I wonder what they're doing. Do you think they brought an army cook out there and they have them set up in a little uh, station and they're making, you know chicken cordon bleu which was my favorite chicken cordon bleu is my favorite you guys that chicken cordon bleu mm, so good i could eat like probably three of the chicken cordon blues they're about the size of a, your fist i could probably eat about three chicken cordon blues in one sitting no problem and hopefully that comes with some green beans some green beans on the side i'm just thinking about some of my old favorite galley meals chocolate chip cookies was my favorite galley meal if they had chocolate chip cookies, I was a happy man. If the peanut butter and jelly bar was open, you go to your PB and J's anytime, that was good. And frankly, what it all comes down to is if they had coffee, then I was happy. If they had coffee, I could I could make do. And uh that reminds me, have you guys headed over to scuttlebuttshow.com and grab some swag yet? You can get coffee cups, you can get t-shirts, uh, you can get all kinds of merch. Links in the description down below. But, you know, today we have something uh, a little a little extra that we're going to add on to the normal plugs that I do, and we're going to get to that here momentarily. I do have another story to cover, uh, one or two before we get to that. But, um, you know, the next story, so we started off with two kind of fun stories. Two kind of fun stories to start out, but we have some serious stuff to talk about today, too. I was really disturbed this morning. So, you know, it's, uh, Justin, the bridge wasn't bad, though. You got to admit, dude you got to admit the food on the USNS bridge was not bad, not bad. And we did have the coffee and PB&J 24 seven. Um, it's, and at least the lines weren't bad. If nothing else, we never had to wait in line a long time. So, uh, so, so I was, you know, I knew I had to do the show early at 7:13 in the morning here in Okinawa, but that means I woke up around 4:30 to get the, uh, to get the show popping. Right. So I had to get the, I had to get the show ready. I had to get the my, you know, my setup, my studio setup, the articles all pulled up on the computer. And as I'm browsing around looking for a couple things that I, you know, I was like, I can add a couple more stories to today's episode. And I'm going through my normal, my normal sources of information, my normal normal avenues. And I come across this story, and it I I it gave me the chills ran up and down my spine to read this. And I didn't know what to think because I was so disturbed, um, I was so disturbed by this that, uh, that um, I, I paused and I just went, I can't believe it, you know, like, I'm so disappointed to read this, I'm going to get to let me catch up on the chat here real quick before we get into it, Larry D says, the best thing my ship made was breakfast on a consistent basis, for those who don't know, for those who aren't in the military, who never were in the Navy, um, the, the breakfast meal is famously the meal of the day. Okay. For one reason and one reason alone, omelets made to order. The omelets on a ship are the most popular meal, the most popular thing you can order. They have them all over military bases. You know, I know like every galley, every Navy galley, every decent one has an omelet ready to order station for breakfast. Every ship should have a good omelet station. I've been, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, depending on where you were, if you were at like a real defect, they would have omelet stations and the omelets were, 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 the jam right there. Justin says, no way, bro. Bottom Richard was way better flight schedule. I never waited in line. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Good point. If you got front of line privileges on, on a bigger, uh, bigger deck, then yeah, that's good to go. Um, I'm in Okinawa. I'm in Okinawa. Uh, Okinawa, Japan is where I'm doing the show from. Um, okay. So Really quick, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do an awkward kind of switch back to the story I was talking about before. This segue was not gonna be as smooth, but look, just freaking yesterday. If you guys were listening to the show yesterday, just yesterday, I was covering a story about a soldier who committed suicide, an army soldier, uh, and and you know, and I, I mentioned another soldier on that article who we covered a few times on a show. It was. Uh, Asia Graham, who was found dead in her barracks on in Fort Bliss on New Year's. And she was one of two female soldiers who made the news for from their deaths on New Year's. One was shot to death in her car in the early morning hours on January 1st. And the other was Asia Graham, who was found dead in her barracks. and uh, And the officials had said no foul play was suspected. So I'm thinking maybe it's you know, maybe it's a an a unidentified you know health problem that she had. had um, maybe and maybe it was suicide. Uh, and maybe you know more information just has to come out. But then you know I get this I get this news article and I'm just sickened. Fort Bliss soldier charged with raping fellow soldier a year before her New Year's Eve death. A first armored division soldier at Fort Bliss, Texas has been charged with sexually assaulting three women over the past year, including a fellow soldier who was found dead on New Year's Eve. So this soldier was just arrested on sexual assault of three female soldiers. One of them is Asia Graham, and Asia Graham was found dead on New Year's Eve in her barracks room. And this broke my I, I, this broke my heart when I read it this morning. I, I mean... You guys, if you've been following along, we've covered you know, Asia Graham and what's going on with her. And I've been saying I'll, when there's more information, I'll, I'll make it available. Well, here we go. PFC Christian Alvarado of 1st Battalion 501st Aviation Regiment was arraigned on Thursday of last week. in, in And I just found this article. In a general court-martial hearing and charged with three counts of sexual assault, one count of aggravated assault, and two counts of making a false statement to Army investigators according to a January 7th, 7th charge sheet. Alvarado is accused of raping Fort Bliss soldier PFC Asia Graham on December 30th, 2019, while she was unconscious, according to the charge sheet. Graham, who was assigned to the same battalion as Alvarado, died a year later on December 31st after she was found unresponsive in her barracks rooms. Army Times for, was uh, first to report this story on Friday. Alvarado was also charged with raping an unidentified woman on May 8th in the El Paso, Texas area. The victim was allegedly incapable of consenting to the sexual act because she was impaired by alcohol, and the accused knew or should have known that condition. On August 26th, Alvarado was charged with the sexual assault and aggravated assault of another unidentified woman near Fort Bliss, according to the charge sheet. Fort Bliss spokeswoman Lieutenant Colonel Allie Payne told Military.com, said... Army would not say if the two unidentified women in the case were soldiers because of privacy concerns. Graham was 19 and a native of Cherryville, North Carolina. The investigation into her death is still ongoing, but Army Criminal Investigative Command or CID does not suspect foul play. But, you know, does that mean that when they say does not suspect foul play, which is what they've been saying the whole time, I assume that means suicide is, you know, possibly not indicative of foul play. That means, you know, she took her own life and there's evidence of that. Graham was 19, uh, so does not suspect foul play according to four plus officials who are awaiting the results of an autopsy for cause of death. Graham had reported her sexual assault to her chain of command on June 1st, six months earlier. The findings of an investigation conducted from June to October prompted Graham's brigade commander on November 3rd to order an Article 32 investigative hearing that was held for Alvarado on December 1st. So, you know... Five months later, six months later, for anything happens. On January eighth, Major General Sean Bernabe, the General Court Martial convening authority for the case, ordered the referral of charges against Alvarado to General Court Martial. A trial date has not been scheduled for Alvarado, who entered the Army in July 2018 and arrived at Bliss in February 2019. As a reminder to the Fort Bliss community, charges are merely accusations and PFC Alvarado, like all Americans, is presumed innocent until proven guilty. The charges against Alvarado come six months after the Army was shot by the death of Specialist Vanessa Guillen at uh, Fort Hood, and we've covered that story uh, many times. So, Army leaders are now working to take action on 70 recommendations that came out of that review of Vanessa Guillen. Among other findings, investigators found major flaws in the Army sexual harassment, assault, and response program. At Hood, which leaders suspect may be an Army-wide problem. So I hope that there's going to be some sweeping uh, reviews of the programs out there. So Asia Graham joined the Army in July 2019 and arrived in Bliss December 2019 after completing basic combat training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and advanced individual training AIT at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, to become a human resources specialist. Colonel Jeffrey Wittenberg, commander of the 1st Armored Division Combat Aviation Brigade, said Graham's unit was deeply saddened by the death. PFC Graham was a valued member of the Iron Eagle team and did an outstanding job for this battalion. Wittenberg said in a January 2nd news release put out after Graham's death, her losses felt not just in our formations but across the Army. We lost a skilled human resource specialist who wanted nothing more than to serve her country and her battle buddies, which I do remember reading on the uh, on on some stuff of her, which her family said all she wanted to do was join the Army and be a soldier. So I was really, really uh, uh, heartbroken and stunned by that article, by that, you know, by that news that six months earlier, she reported this assault. And then, you know, I'm being presumptuous here to suggest that she committed suicide and we'll know, you know, more, I think, in the coming days. But the more information that comes out of this, the more suspicious slash um, deeper this story tends to go as far as what was going on with her and, and I'm just uh, you know I'm heart, I'm heartbroken, you know, to hear that. Like it's just it's just horrible. We like because since I've been doing the show, we cover this so much. We cover this so much on the show that uh, you know, I hope that there's a time when you hear like sweeping reforms have led to a reduction in, you know, sexual assault charges and claims by eighty percent or whatever the bullet would sound like. Um, let me catch up on the chat here. Uh, mini Leia, I got to catch up with you soon. Let's do a podcast. My brother was in the Navy and never complained about the food. <laughs> I, you know, the food So the thing about complaining about the food in the Navy is it's a fun thing to complain about. It's like part of the Navy is complaining about the food, but it wasn't that bad. The Navy's got the best food, any branch Navy's got the best food period. Uh, Larry says my hookup was MS3 Hartman. He was an omelet aficionado that. So, okay. So, so heads up. Thank you, Larry heads up to everyone out there. If you're thinking about joining the Navy or the military in general, or if you're already in, you'll probably know that if you're already in, you already know this. It's all about the hookup. You've got to have a hookup in the, in galley, in the galley, in supply and medical. Okay. You have to have a hookup in supply to get some new boots, to get some new t-shirts, to get a new Gerber, you know, multi-tool knife in your pocket. Um, you've got to have a hookup at, uh, medical to get that quick, you know, ibuprofen, Motrin, Mobic, whatever you need to get in there and get like a referral, whatever it is, you got to have that hookup at medical. And then you have to have the galley hookup to sneak you in some, uh, some, you know, head of line, some cake, you know, some of that, some of that pie from the chief's mess, whatever it is. Um, you've got to have that hookup. Um, cadet says, and then talking about the story we just covered, it says some people are sick. Larry D says, heartbreaking story. My son is 19 in the Navy. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, that is a, it's a really sad story. That's a really sad story. And as a parent, Larry, I, uh, I can feel, you know, I can try to empathize with what you're thinking about, you know, your kids out there, you know, in the military. You never know what's going on with them. I just hope that um, people out there, family, you know, veterans, young, young soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, have someone that they can reach out and talk to about this stuff, um, who they feel like they have a really pure open line of communication with a judgment-free place to vent. You know, like, uh, if you guys don't know, there's a great YouTube video. Um, just, you know, while we're on the subject, there's a great YouTube video. Uh, I think, I think it's called, it's not about the nail. Okay. There's this video out there. If you Google, it's not about the nail, you'll find it. It's a video where there's a, a male and female husband, wife, and a female is complaining about a headache to the husband, right? And she's like, I just have this headache. And, um, and she has a nail in her head. Like a, a nail's been hammered into her head. And she's like, I have this headache. And he goes, well, you know, you have a nail in your head. And she's like, no, I just, I just have this horrible headache. And he goes, well, take the nail out of your head. And she goes, ah, you know, I'm, I'm probably butchering it. Well, no, my head still hurts. And he goes, well, it's the nail. And she goes, it's not about the nail. And you know, anyway, however badly I just quoted that video, the the point of the video is sometimes people just want to be heard. You know, they don't need and they don't need an answer. They don't need you to tell them what the solution to their problem is. They just want to have somebody to tell you to tell tell what they're feeling. You know, and all you have to do is sit there and listen. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do. You don't have to offer a solution. You don't have to tell them everything's going to be okay. Just tell them, you know, I'm listening. I'm listening. Tell me what's going on. I'm listening. And you just can go. I hear you. You know that sounds really tough. Sounds really tough. It is really tough what you're going through. You know, tell me whatever you want. I'm listening. And that's all you have to do for people sometimes. Um, And maybe if more of us had, if more people had someone to just listen to them, uh, maybe we wouldn't have some some of the mental health issues and consequences uh, that we do. Um, And he says. Uh, the three are just the ones that were found out. There's probably more victims. It sounds like there's a trend going on here with this guy, the the accused. Um, it sounds like he had a, a kind of, he's been accused of what would be like a, a, a chain of serial offenses. So kind of, he has the same MO, MO modus operandi, operandi, whatever, um, motive, mo, modus, modus operandi, I think. Um, so he would go out there, uh, you know, find somebody, you know, maybe, get them some drinks. And when they're drunk, take advantage of them. That's what he's accused of. Okay. We always got to be clear that that's what he's accused of, but man, I'm going to, I'll, I'll continue to follow up on this story. If you continue to listen to the show and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll track this story down to like exactly what happened until we find out the real deal. Justin says, getting things out to a good listener can sometimes be more valuable than we think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Justin. It's uh, I just want people to know, you know, sometimes the most valuable thing you can do is just express what you're thinking just say it out loud. And sometimes just talking out loud, you'll talk yourself into conclusions. You know, you'll talk yourself into answers that you can't, you can come up with on your own. You don't need anybody to tell you. You can just kind of talk yourself into the solution to the problem. If somebody's just listening, you know, <clears throat> it always makes me feel better if I just say what I'm thinking. So the next story, uh, you know, like I said, just to follow up, we're going to continue to follow that story about Asia Graham and find out what's going on. But, um, the next story that I've got is, uh, um we covered this uh a little a little while ago and I just want to give an update because I have a little update about this, which is um uh it's out of Africa where the US military says troop withdrawal from Somalia is complete. Troop withdrawal from Somalia is complete. So um, this is from Military Times out of Kenya. The U.S. military says its troop withdrawal from Somalia is complete and one of the last actions of President Trump. Some experts have warned that the withdrawal of an estimated 700 U.S. military personnel comes at the worst possible time for Somalia, as the Al Qaeda linked Al Shabaab extremist group improves its bomb making skills and continues to attack military and civilian targets, even in the capital of Mogadishu. Obviously, Mogadishu and the U.S. military have a long history. Um, The withdrawal comes less than a month before Somalia is set to hold a national election. The U.S. personnel trained and supported Somali forces, including its elite special forces and counterterror operations. They were being moved to African countries such as neighboring Kenya and Djibouti, home of the only permanent U.S. military base in Africa, Djibouti. Anybody in the chat been to Djibouti, let me know. But U.S. Africa Command spokesman Colonel Chris Carnes would not say how many people were going where because some of them were being transferred to Djibouti. Asked whether the administration of President-elect Joe Biden will reverse the withdrawal, Carnes replied in an email: "It would be inappropriate for us to speculate or engage in hypotheticals. It is probably going to be. It would probably be difficult to uh, reverse a decision like that. It would. It would take. If you guys try to understand, if the military withdraws from somewhere, not only do the people leave, but an insane amount of equipment leaves too. Like an like an unbelievable amount of equipment." would have to be removed from that AO, that area of operation, before the last person leaves. We're talking trucks, tanks, buildings, uh, you know, connexes, like big metal buildings. Um, some of that stuff would just get blown up. Some of that stuff would just get blown up and rendered useless out there, burned down. Um, all, of the, all of the supply infrastructure would be broken down. And normally what would happen is you would take all of your people who are kind of, uh, spread out wherever, all of your equipment that's kind of spread out wherever and you would bring, start to consolidate it and move it, you know, bring it in, shrink it into like one focused location, somewhere near an airfield where planes can land and then load up the gear and finally load up the people. So reversing a decision like that would not be as simple as just sending people back in. It would have to start with a small group of people, probably SF go in there to make sure everything's okay, that the area is okay, that it hasn't been, you know, laid out with bombs and, and, you know, uh, um, uh, infiltrated by, you know, potentially Al Qaeda or sympathizers. Then they would finally start moving in some supplies and then more and more people. And that kind of thing could take a year, easily a year. So it wouldn't be as easy as just reversing the decision. It'd be a difficult thing to do. Karin said the operation enters its next phase of periodic engagement with Somali security forces. He would not go into details. The withdrawal was announced late last year with a January 15 deadline. The U.S. military, which has carried out a growing number of airstrikes against al-Shabaab and a small band of fighters linked to the Islamic State group during the Trump's administration, says it will continue to pressure al-Shabaab. The extremist group has an estimated 5,000 to 10,000 fighters. These Somali forces, even U.S. assessments have said are not ready to take over responsibility for the country's security, especially as a 19,000 strong multinational African Union force is also set to withdraw by the end of this year. U.S. Africa Commander General Stephen Townsend noted no serious injuries or significant loss of equipment despite significant efforts to target us by Al-Shabaab during the intense operation to remove U.S. personnel. Townsend on Saturday visited Manda Bay in Kenya where the U.S. Africa Command said substantial enhancements have been made to physical security after a deadly Al-Shabaab attack a year ago destroyed U.S. aircraft used against it in Somalia. So it sounds like uh, things are still pretty hot and heavy in Africa, which is mainly a special forces mission out there. Um, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with, uh, with Africa and what's going on out there. We've talked about it a bunch of times on the show because I feel like people don't know what's going on in Africa, but SF seals, you know, green berets, raiders have been deployed out there for a really long time. Um, decades in fact, and, uh, they've been battling with, uh, militias, um, uh warlords trying to th- overthrow governments and Al Qaeda and other terrorist groups and sympathizers. So Africa is definitely always going on and the um the the goal to withdraw people from Africa has been an ongoing thing as well. So now uh now it seems like they've withdrawn from Somalia. I will say, you know, there's never a good time um for us to withdraw just like it was never a good time for us to draw from my Ira- withdraw from Iraq, never a good time for us to withdraw from Afghanistan. But at the same time, we were never fully engaged in conflict over there either. We've been limping along in those conflicts for many, many years, and as a result, it's always a bad time to withdraw. So, you know, you guys kind of probably know where I stand on this if you've been listening to the show. One time's as good as another to withdraw from the conflicts that we're in because we haven't been fully committed to them as a government. While meanwhile, the troops over there are fighting for their lives, fighting for the people, but the but the um, the government. It's just like, oh, we'll do, you know, we're going to provide the bare minimum to, to get you guys limping along to maybe get your military a little ready, a little bit more equipped, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, and good luck. So it's, uh, you know, any, any one time is as good as another to withdraw. I say, so, um, Justin says, uh, Marine Hilo was escorted outside the wire accidentally forced to take off the local goat that ran up the ramp. Crewman crew chief couldn't get it out in time. That is amazing. That's, uh, that is awesome. Incredible. That's an incredible story. Uh, Djibouti, my cousin was there. I always thought it was a made up place. (laughs) Djibouti is a real, yeah. Djibouti, that's Djibouti. Uh, if you say it with a New York accent, it sounds even better. Um, man, time is flying by. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I've got to talk about this. Um, this is a, this is personal, a personal story. Um, I want you guys to think about uh, if you if you served or if you you know Larry you say your son uh, is serving currently. I just want to go back. I want to take you guys back to um to when I was in high school. Okay, when I was in high school for for when I was young, I wanted to join the military. I wanted to join the navy, and then I had a shift, and uh, and then I didn't want to, and I was like, I'm not joining the military. The military is you know that's not for me. I'm like. Anti-war, I'm um, peace, love, and happiness, and um, and all this stuff. I was patriotic, you know. I'm from Poughkeepsie, New York. You know, we, I know, I remember right where I was on 9-11. I ended up joining the military in two thousand four. I graduated high school in two thousand three. I had a buddy um, who was destined to be a marine. He was he was born to be a marine. His parents, his mother and father, were marines. Um, they loved the Marine Corps. Marine Corps, everything, right? And he, and my buddy knew he was going to be a Marine for as long as I knew him. I transferred to the school district in middle school. And as long as I knew him, he was going to be a Marine. Um, we were close friends. We played Halo together, basically daily, for years straight. There was maybe like seven or eight of us, you know, who would play Halo, play cards, play manhunt at night, um, hang out make food runs. We just spent all of our time together. And this was in a, in junior, senior year of high school. And he always talked about, he's going in the Marine Corps, going to the Marine Corps, going in the Marine Corps. And it always sounded like, it sounded frankly, like um, something that would never actually, it felt like it would never actually happen. Does that make sense? Like people talk about this thing, but you're like, ah, that's in a couple of years. That's never, you know, who knows, who knows what's going to happen in two years. Who knows? That's next summer, man. Who knows what's going to happen? Anything could happen between now and next summer. So, we uh, we graduate high school in two thousand three in in June, and I think like a week, um, like a week after we graduated high school, him and a couple other guys from our high school ship off to boot camp. They go to Marine Corps boot camp, and the summer passes, and I'm doing nothing with myself. You know, I'm just enrolled in community college, getting ready to go. I, I start going to community college and the fall comes around at the end of September, October, something like that. My buddy comes back from, uh, from boot camp. All these guys come back and, I, and they're like different people in a good way, right? Like they're just walking tall, looking super fit, got that haircut, looks like life's going good. They're, you know, all oorah all over there. And I'm like, I'm like, man, look at, look at those guys. You know, look look at those guys. That's a, that looks pretty good. That looks like a pretty good deal. You know, maybe. And I'm like, basically already in the process of considering dropping out of community college. I'm looking at getting a job at UPS in the warehouse, which I eventually, I did get that job before I joined the Navy working at the warehouse in in UPS. uh, You know, I'm working at IHOP on the side um, as a waiter and I've just got nothing going on. And I'm like, I that thought, you know, that that creep that thought creeps in my head, like maybe I should join the Marines. And I started thinking about joining the Marine. And I started expressing that to some of my friends who I was hanging out with at the time, this is a different group of people. Start uh start talking to them and they were like, uh, no, no, nah, don't do that. You don't want to do that. And I just couldn't shake the thought though. I just couldn't shake the thought. And one day I go to the Marine recruiters, but they weren't there. They were out of the office the Navy recruiter was in their office. So they go, oh, you can go wait for the Marines in here. And I said, oh, okay, I'll wait for the Marines in your office. And then a couple hours later, I'm signing paperwork to go join the Navy. And uh, anyway, I tell you that whole story to tell you, I want. I wonder if you guys remember the other people that you knew in school who joined the military. Do you guys remember the other students in your school, or if you never served if, if you uh, remember students that you were in school with who joined the military and kind of whatever happened to them. And I would just encourage you to go back and go, oh, you know, have I talked to the other people from my high school, the other people that I knew when I was a kid who joined the military and see how they're doing, see how their career went. Um, now, with that being said, um, the reason I bring all that up is because uh, I saw something on Facebook yesterday and and I wanted to uh, and I wanted to bring a touch to it because normally I'm always saying, you know, Go subscribe to the Patreon. Go to the scuttlebutt and buy some merch. T- today, if you guys are, are wondering how you can support the channel, the way you can support the channel today is by going to the link in the bio for Linda's GoFundMe. So, this is his mom. That, that guy that I was talking about, this is his mom. And she's been sick lately. She's a Marine veteran. And uh, I'm just going to read this GoFundMe. I have always helped others when they were in need. I served on active duty reserves as a U.S. Marine. Now, after all these years, I am in need of help. I am pending to be on a liver transplant. A few more tests and interviews, I will be added to the list. My medical issue is also causing oxygen issues. So if I don't get, to in, if I don't get the transplant, my time is limited. I have two grandchildren I love and adore with, with another on the way. I want to be here for them. I have never really asked for help because I am a strong woman. I have now been dealt a card which I want to win. I want to be able to be there for my family and for those who need help. I miss working, but my work was more than just money for, uh, to pay the bills. It was to be there for my fellow Marines and families. To this day, I still try to help veterans with answering any questions and to lead them to the right path. Any help would be more than greatly appreciated. So um, this is my buddy, uh, my buddy's mother, who uh, was a Marine. His father was a Marine their whole family, their kids all join the Marines. So that link is in the description down below. And if you guys are looking for a way to support the Scuttlebutt Show today, it's by, you know, going to check out that GoFundMe. I know it's not a great time to be asking for money from anybody, but I just want to put that out there and see if I can spread some awareness. If you do uh, go over there, let me know. I'd love to hear, uh, you know, if you if you checked out that GoFundMe or uh, thought it was a uh, um, some way you can help or some way that I can help. Um, so yeah, so I just... And with that also, another thing I would encourage you guys to do that I've done this week uh, after kind of finding out about this is I went back and I kind of emailed the guys from my, my school who joined the military and I said, hey, I just want to thank you for your service. Uh, I wish I had known back in high school what I know now about the military, about, you know, serving, about all the things that go along with that. And I just want to say, I hope you're doing well wherever you are. I hope life's been good for you and, uh, and I wish you the best. And, you know, and, and that's it. And I just was thinking about you. I just sent a few emails out to some people from my school because, uh, it's crazy. You know, it's just crazy when you're 17, 18 years old, you know, these guys joined, they went to Iraq, they went to Fallujah and I just didn't know. I had no idea at the time what they were doing, you know, what they were going through. And, uh, even though I was in the Navy, I was, you know, an E3 in the Navy, I still didn't really understand, you know, not until much later did I really get it, you know? And so I just wanted to do a buddy check, a buddy check in and, uh, and, and see what's going on with them. So let me know if you guys have anything like that, any stories of people you went to school with to joined the military, anything interesting there. And uh, and that GoFundMe is linked in the description of this uh, video. So a couple more stories. Time's flying by. Kimberly's already uh, seven forty one in the morning here. Uh, I've got another story about um from about the Capitol. What's going on in the Capitol? And I'm I'm mixed I'm mixed up about it. Okay, I'm mixed up about it. The story. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but a couple troops have been um. They've been removed from their service at the Capitol because they were vetted, they're vetting everybody who's serving at the Capitol and they were found to have ties to some far right extremist groups. And the reason I say I'm torn about it is because, uh, there's not that much information out there about, you know, what those ties were. And, and I, and, you know, let's just go through the article and I'll tell you what I'm thinking. So two guardsmen reportedly pulled from inauguration security over ties to right-wing militia groups. Two Army National Guardsmen have reportedly been pulled from providing security during Wednesday's inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris after background checks found they had ties to right-wing militia groups. James Laporta of the AP was the first to reveal on Tuesday that the two guardsmen were linked to the fringe groups, citing an unnamed Army official and senior intelligence official. The names of the militia groups have not been publicly released at this time, and the investigators did not discover any evidence of a plot to harm Biden. When contacted by Task and Purpose on Tuesday, National Guard Bureau officials said they had no information about whether two guardsmen had been removed from a massive effort to protect the inauguration due to reported ties with militia groups. And due to operational security, we do not discuss the process nor the outcome of the vetting process for military members supporting the inauguration, said National Guard's Bureau spokesperson Nahaku McFadden, who referred Nahaku McFadden, that's a cool name, who referred further questions on the matter to the U.S. Secret Service. Roughly 25,000 National Guardsmen have been mobilized to protect Wednesday's inauguration in the wake of the January 6th Capitol Hill insurrection that left five people dead, including two Air Force veterans who were on two different sides of the riots there. The Army is working with the Secret Service to provide extra screening for guardsmen tasked with securing the inauguration. Separately, the FBI is concerned that QAnon extremists could attempt to penetrate the inauguration by posing as National Guardsmen. Damn. That's crazy. While we have no intelligence indicating an insider threat, we are leaving no stone unturned in securing the Capitol, McVadden said on Tuesday. This type of continuous vetting often takes place for significant security events, particularly when individuals are in proximity to the president. However, in this case, the scope of military participation is unique. Okay. Here's why I uh, I said I had mixed feelings about it. I'm just going to let this video play here while I talk about it. So, um, and I'll, maybe I'll rewind it really quick. So, um, you know, Okay, Um, I don't think it's good to have links to extremist groups. Uh, Obviously, I certainly am not saying that. Um, I also acknowledge and totally am on board with the fact that when you join the military, you surrender certain freedoms. All I'm going to say is a lot of people join the military to get out of a life like this, right? Right? A lot of people join the military to get out of gangs, to get out of, you know, dangerous groups, to get out of families who influence them to do bad things. And a lot of people come from a background of having made some regrettable choices and mistakes. Um, And until I get more information, I'm just going to say, if you're getting like, let's say you're getting a security clearance, a, a top secret security clearance, for example, they do a pretty thorough background check. If they find in that investigation that you are members of certain groups like um uh, Adam Waffen or something, um some crazy like right-wing extremist group in the United States, uh Nazi sympathizer something like that, then yeah, you can probably count on not getting your security clearance um or having some trouble. If you're going to special duty like White House duty, you can certainly expect some higher str- more stringent checking um I hope that if all they, it, it's, it's, t- this is a tough one. It's delicate, right? If all they found was connections between these guys and these groups, I hope that this doesn't hurt their military career more than this. In this, and that's considering the possibility that that's a pre, a past life that they lived, right? So a mistake that they made or, you know, whatever you want to call it, from a part of their life that they're trying to get out of. And that, you know, now they're in the army and hopefully they have a chance to, uh, to continue on with their career in lieu of this. And not like now, because they found this out while they were called up to national guard duty, um, their career is just over destroyed. That would just obviously drive them further into whatever they're into. I maybe you know, in my, in my opinion. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Let me know. It's possible too, that they were just totally, you know, bad actors and up to no good and that they should be taken off of it. Totally. Obviously there Obviously there's that exists in the military. It happens all the time. But, um, what if you were in like a street gang, you know, you could be in a street gang and then join the military and be, you know, in the military only to learn military tactics, to take those back and train your street gang. That's a common tactic that gangs do. A lot of gangs, send members with clean records into the Marine Corps to learn how to you know, fight so, and then come back and teach the gang. Um, so there's stuff like that happening. It's pretty regular, but it, just in case, um, just in case that's not what's happening here, just in case this is a group of people who in a, in a past life, in another time, in another place had gotten into something like this and now they're getting punished for it uh, on, on guard duty here, on national guard duty, um, I hope it's a. I hope it's a a, a thoroughly thought out process, um, and that they're getting the best, fairest treatment that's available to them. So, if you guys had seen that article out there, that's what I think about it. Um, let me know what you think about it in the comments. I'm curious, uh, how how much of a tie to a group would it require for you to kick them out of uh, their their duty in the in the White House and Capitol this week? <clears throat> I'm I'm uh, I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts. So. There's one more quick story, and then we got a final story here about Delta Force. So let me just get right into this uh, second to last story here, which is um, a follow-up to an old story. Uh, The headline here, white man who killed newly commissioned black army lieutenant sentenced to life in prison. So really, this is uh, the guy on the right side of your screen here murdered the guy on the left side of your screen here, and he's been sentenced to life in prison. But there's a little bit more to it, so let's get to that right now. The white man who stabbed a newly commissioned black U.S. Army second lieutenant to death in May 2017 has been sentenced to life in prison. Sean Urbanski, 25, was handed a sentence on January 14th, according to the AP, and he will be eligible for parole at some point. Army second lieutenant Richard Collins III had been visiting friends at the University of Maryland in 2017 and was waiting for an Uber with two friends in the early hours of May 21st when Urbanski, who had been drinking, approached and told Collins to step left if you know what's best for you, in quotes. Collins said no, which is when Urbansky stabbed him in the chest. According to the AP, Urbansky then pocketed the knife and sat down on a bench until police arrived and arrested him. Urbansky told Collins' parents on Thursday that there hasn't been a day that's gone by where I haven't thought about what I've done to you, and if I could switch places with your son, I wouldn't heartbeat. Jeez. Collins had been commissioned in the Army just days before on May 18th and was expected to graduate from Bowie State University and begin his Army career as a military intelligence officer. Authorities began investigating the murder as a hate crime after finding that Urbanski was a member of an online Facebook group that posts racist and other inflammatory material. The Washington Post reported in 2017. The Facebook group was called alt Reich Nation. The hate crime charge was dropped in 2019, however, as Circuit Court Judge Lawrence Hill Jr. ruled that prosecutors didn't provide enough evidence. The next day, Urbanski was convicted of first-degree murder. You know, hate crime, first-degree murder, this guy's looking at effectively life in prison, probably. Despite, uh, race is always, um, despite dropping the hate crime charge. Hill said on Thursday that he does believe race and alcohol were factors in the murder. According to the AP, Urbanski had three times the legal limit of alcohol in his system that he stabbed Collins. Race is always amongst us in the things we do and the things we say, Hill said, according to the AP. He was also noted on Thursday that he ruled against the hate crime charge before the hate crime law was changed. According to the AP, Maryland changed the law earlier this year so prosecutors don't have to prove hate is the only motivating factor in committing a crime and instead expanded the law to allow for crimes which are either in whole or in substantial part motivated by things like race, color, religious beliefs, gender, or sexual orientation. Collins' father, Richard Collins Jr., said on Thursday that he and his wife have come to the realization that racist hate was the murderer's only motivation for killing her son and that they haven't yet been able to clean out their son's room. My son committed the unpardonable sin of saying no to a white man, Collins' mother, Dawn, told Hill on Thursday, according to AP, Adding that her son had planned to follow in his father's and grandfather's footsteps to join the U.S. military and serve their country. Not white America, not black America, she said. The United States of America. The United States of America. That's a sad story. That one's pretty sad. Here's a young man who's about to get his military career going. He's about to graduate college and go into the Army. And for a senseless, no reason, this guy comes up and kills him. You know, I would borderline call that, you know, I bet that was in some regard premeditated. I bet that guy left his house that night looking to start, start some shit. And, uh, and then he didn't, he killed somebody. And it's really difficult to, to, you know, ever come to grips with that, a senseless murder. Uh, I've unfortunately had to experience that in the past couple of years myself, losing friends to that kind of senseless violence. And you know, I hope nothing but the worst for the guy who did it. I hope he spends his life in prison and rots away. And, uh, and just wanted to bring attention to that story because I want to honor the guy who the soldier who passed away. Um, and you know, wish that the best for the family. I hope that they, uh, you know, do well and recover and eventually, you know, have some peace. Um, probably to me, you know, a sentence being passed down, a guilty verdict is not necessarily peace. I, uh, I don't know how you can ever come to grips with that kind of thing. To lose a son uh, in such a way is is horrifying to me. So um, I just wanted to bring that story up. I, we talked about it before on the show a long time ago. And uh, there's some resolution now with him being found guilty of first-degree murder. So he'll be going away for a long time. Um, you guys saw the headline today. There's one more story to cover. Time flew by today. I can't believe time flew by today like this. Uh, Delta Force. Delta Force, the unit, whatever you want to call it, is long been known as the military's most badass secret special operations group. Everyone always throws that word around. Oh, they're Delta. That's Delta Force. You know, and some people are like, Is Delta Force even real? You know, you've got stuff like CAG. Now you've got JSOC. You've got all these other groups. You know, DEV Group, SEAL Team Six. And you're like, Is any of this stuff? What? Is, what is this? What's going on? Is this real? Is any of this real? So Delta Force is a real thing. It's a component of JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command. Delta Force. Is the army's tier one special operations unit, um, where every branch has their tier one, and they fall under JSOC. So, Delta Force was an army unit founded to be counterterror, special operations, hostage rescue, to execute those special missions uh, in faraway lands that are that require highly, highly specialized training and skills to complete. And this week. Sergeant Major Angel Massius, who was a founding member of Delta Force, passed away. He was 80 years old. Here's a little bit about that. So Sergeant Major Ange Angel Massius, a founding member of Delta Force, dead at 80 years old. Sergeant Major Massius exemplified the special forces ethos. He was a founding member of the Army's elite Delta Force and passed away in North Carolina on January 5th. Local newspaper Fayetteville Observer first reported, retired Sergeant Major Angel Macias of Parkton, North Carolina, passed away at the age of 80 after a lifetime of military and civilian service, according to his obituary. Born in Torreon, Mexico in 1940, Tor- Torreon, Mexico, in 1940, Macias grew up in Robstown, Texas before joining the U.S. Army when he was 19. He went on to earn many decorations and medals in the Vietnam War, including the Bronze Star. Massius later joined Special Forces where he became one of the original members of Delta Force. Delta Force is the Army's counterterrorism Special Forces unit. Massius made his mark as a soldier, wrote the Special Forces Association, a nonprofit fraternal organization of which Massius was a lifetime member. Sergeant Major Massius exemplified the Special Forces ethos, committing himself to a lifetime of meritorious and valorous service to the nation as both a soldier and a dedicated civil servant. The association wrote in a statement of and purpose. He served with distinction during the conflict in Vietnam, earning several medals, medals for valor in an intense sustained combat. The association noted that Macias was specifically selected as one of the original members of the army's premier counterterrorism special mission unit. He was a sniper on Operation Eagle Claw in 1980, the doomed attempt to rescue American hostages held in Tehran, Iran for 444 days. According to a 2017 profile written about him in the Fayetteville Observer, President Jimmy Carter gave Macias accommodation for his efforts in the operation. We learned a lot from that mission, Macias told the Observer in 2017, President Carter established a joint special joint operations command that created a command that could pull together diverse elements and skills needed to train for special missions. That means uh, you could have Navy, you could have Army, Air Force, uh, Marine Corps, anybody could, could, they could pull individual members from different military branches to make one like super team, if you will, right? Able to go take on extremely challenging and difficult missions um, and provide the... Uh, the best skills required for that specific task. So if you need people who are really good at tradecraft, if you need people who are really good at snipers, if you need people who are look a certain way, speak a certain language, have done certain, you know, dive missions, breaching uh, abilities, stuff like that, bring them all together into one joint team to accomplish special uh, highly dangerous missions, t- t- generally highly classified, highly dangerous missions. Um, Macias eventually retired from the army, but his civil service career didn't end then. He went on to work for the Bureau of T- Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and he contributed greatly to the overall camaraderie of the SFA. Mossius worked as a civil servant for 20 years. When he retired, he spent most of his days at the office, AKA the golf course. <laughs> nice. He also developed a passion for gardening. His four and a half acre garden near Parkton featured strong geometric elements, a wall made of a large heavy rocks manually fitted together. Southwestern plants such as giant agave, Texas sage, and, and indica azaleas, fruit trees such as the Japanese persimmons and apples, large wooden gazebo, and two practice golf holes, the Observer report in 2017. That's really cool. I never would have dreamed that I would do this, Masia said of his landscape at the time. Masius is survived by one brother, three sisters, five children, seven grandchildren, 11 great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. That's amazing. Sergeant Major Masius's efforts as a member were instrumental in enhancing the legacy and honor of both the Special Forces Regiment and the Special Forces Association. We all mourn Sergeant Major Masius' passing while celebrating a life incredibly well-lived in the service to our nation. Our thought... uh, Whoa... Our thoughts and prayers go out to his family, friends, and comrades in arms. Rest in peace, Deopresso Liber, Sergeant Angel Macias. Sergeant Major Angel Macias. Um, Deopresso Liber is the motto of the Green Berets, um, which I don't know if he was a, a Green Beret before Delta, and I guess that is Delta Force is Green Berets. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I should probably double check that. Maybe I'll double check that and get back to you guys. Um, maybe I can Google it really quick for anybody still watching. Bravo, Zulu, to Sergeant Major. Thanks, Larry D. Is Delta Force Green Berets. The first Special Forces Operational Attachment, commonly referred to as Delta Force Combat CAG, or the unit, or JSOC, is a Special Operations Force of the United States Army under operational control of Joint Special Operations Command. Um... Delta Force is the Army's primary quick strike organization operating in the same vein as the SEALs do for the Navy. Special Forces groups often called Green Berets. But it doesn't is, is so Delta Force, like I was saying, is special forces is Green Berets. Yes. Yeah, so if they say SF, Special Forces is what the Army's Green Beret program is called. they when special operations is different. Special forces is actually what the Army calls their Green Berets. But Delta Force is a joint uh Special Operations Command asset that is comprised, it can be comprised of people from all different branches. You could have Navy SEALs. You could have Marine Raiders. You could have Air Force CCTs, TACPs, PJs. So I think Delta Force doesn't, it, it doesn't comprise only of Green Berets, but I don't know if Delta Force has members in it from the Army who are not Green Berets. The Army's, the the Army. Members of Delta Force are probably all Green Berets. What's up, pickle? Hey, man, we're about to sign off. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Um, so, I'll try to I'll try to get some clarity from on that, and maybe I'll talk about it tomorrow. Tomorrow we have a normally scheduled episode. Sorry, I know today's episode was at a random time, um, but I'm going to be doing some more volunteer work with the USO, like I was saying. This episode, I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, convert it over to a podcast here in the next few minutes after we get off, and you guys can find it there. Um, or you can rewatch it here on YouTube, like all the other episodes. Uh, and I really appreciate you guys being here. Links to that GoFundMe are in the description down below, as are all the normal uh, standard call out links, shout outs. But today it's a shout out to uh, Linda's GoFundMe. So I want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in, coming to check out the show at this special time. Tomorrow we'll be back, same Scuttlebutt show time, same Scuttlebutt show place. I look forward to seeing you all. Then, as always, it's a pleasure and honor to have you uh, come join me. And until next time, I am out for now.